Well, good morning, church. So good to be with you today uh, in the building, and if you're with us online, it's, it's good to be worshiping the Lord together with you. Our memory verse, this is the last Sunday of March already, so next week we will begin a new verse for April. Let's say it together one more time. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin Exodus 20, 20. Very good. Well, I want to thank you, uh, all, many of you, for your prayers, uh, for your thoughts, for your words of encouragement, uh, some of you uh, gift baskets and um, all kinds of love thrown our way this week. It was a very interesting week, and it's been a very interesting month uh, for our family. Uh, I want to take the time this morning to unpack a little bit with you our last three weeks. And uh, I want to begin with Monday of this week because that was near to us. And many of you saw the prayer requests come through uh, the church email. Many of you are on that and received that. Uh, this week on Monday at track practice, uh, Bailey was warming up. She was going over the hurdles, getting ready to uh, run her time trial, and she caught, most likely, we're not sure, most likely it was her trail leg on a hurdle, and she went down, and her left arm absorbed the entirety of the fall, which led to a double compound fracture, uh, both bones completely broken, uh, one poked through the skin a little bit, uh, and, and thankfully went back in because dad does not do good with that stuff. And um, I was at the other end of the track, and I had a friend that was uh, with the, uh, the starter gun down at the other end, and he was, he's an official. He was starting the races to get the kids kind of used to what that would sound like at our first meet coming up on Monday. And all I heard was, Dad, not from her, from him, Dad, you better come. And, uh, and I said, okay. So I start coming down. He says, I think it's broken. And I was like, all right. He looks again. He said, oh, it's broken. <laughs> and uh, w there are certain images in, in your mind uh, that you, when you go through things. And I will never forget seeing my daughter's arm like that uh, coming down the track. Uh, arms are just not supposed to dangle that way. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. The girl did not cry. Uh, the nurses and the doctors do not know what she's made of. <laughs> um, I said she has six brothers, and that makes a lot of sense. Um, she is tough, and they do not mess with her. They know better, and um, she is one tough cookie. Uh, but this was just part and parcel of what has been several very emotionally heavy and tragic weeks uh, in our personal lives uh, as a family. And I just want to give an overview of March, and then I want to share a little bit about where we're going to go today in our time together. Sunday, March 5th, the first Sunday in March, I was here at CNBC. It was the Sunday before outreach conference, and while I was preaching, my phone uh, vibrated in my pocket. And on Sunday mornings, that's typically never a good thing because most people know what I do for a job, so they don't disturb me on Sunday mornings. 
Uh, in between service and ABF, uh, I read the message that came, and uh, Chad McDowell had uh, tragically and unfortunately passed away. Uh, he had been uh, battling with colon cancer and some complications. Uh, in regards to that, uh, he passed. Later that evening, I was sitting at home, and I was putting the boys to bed, and, and Chad is someone that I've known and, and worked with in the community here for a number of years in coaching, and his wife, Jen, is the head track coach at the school, and she texted me, and she said, do you have time to talk? And so after I got the boys to bed, I, I called her, and she asked if I would be willing to, to do the funeral uh, for the family as their pastor was away, um, awaiting the, the birth of their first grandchild down in Carolinas. And so Friday, March 10th, uh, just five days later, was Chad McDowell's funeral. And at that funeral, as I got up to speak, uh, reflecting on Chad's life and um, being a follower of Christ, I, I started with these words. Chad McDowell was for me all at once the image of a good and faithful husband, a kind and loving father, a motivated and caring coach, a dedicated and influential educator, and a sacrificial and humble community leader. And as I was preparing for his services that week, my mother called to inform me that my grandmother, who lives in Florida, had taken a pretty bad fall, and her health was quickly deteriorating. On Friday, March 17th, she was placed under hospice care in Florida. Then on Sunday, March 19th, Sheila, Brighton, and Bailey were up at the Bible quizzing tournament in Lancaster when I received a phone call from one of my very close friends and mentors. Sorry. He was calling to inform me that a, a co-worker of mine, someone I worked very closely with for over 10 years at Wesley Church, had suddenly passed away. Craig Dibler. Blake's brother, he had led worship that morning in church. He went home, ate lunch, sat down to watch the NCAA basketball tournament, and they found him unresponsive on the couch. Later that evening, I found out that Mike Miller, my first youth pastor and a local community pastor, also tragically succumbed from complications related to his cancer diagnosis. And passed away. That Sunday evening when my mentor was talking to me on the phone, he asked if I would be willing to attend Wesley's staff meeting on Monday to be present as a pastoral presence and to care for Blake and to pray with the staff and to just be there to support and encourage. And so Monday I went to Wesley's staff meeting and spent time with their staff, praying, reflecting, remembering uh, many fond times with Craig. That was Monday, March 20th. In the afternoon, at track practice, Bailey fell and suffered a double compound fracture in her left arm. I do not do good with those things like I shared. Um, <laughs> the one time in our lives where Sheila's had to have surgery, I almost passed out in the bathroom caring for her. Huh. And, uh, and so as I was nearing Bailey on the track... 
I felt myself turning white, <laughs> and I felt the dizziness coming. And thankfully, she had gotten over to the grass and sat down, and I thought, maybe I need to, too. <laughs> I need my own caregiver in those moments. <laughs> I don't do good seeing other people in pain, uh, especially when it's your daughter. Tuesday, March 21st, Bailey had surgery. It was an extensive surgery. It was two hours long. Um, they had to repair both bones. They had to use wires, plates, nails. Uh, and I, I, I did not, I chose not to go down. I said, I'll wait here in the room. And as we were waiting for a post-op appointment with uh, the doctors, my phone buzzed. I don't like to look at my phone anymore. <laughs> This month has been really hard every time it buzzes. It just so happened to be Mike Miller's daughter. Uh, Juliana is the same age as my sister. They grew up together. Um, Mike and Donna were very close to my mom and dad, and, and we went to the same church growing up, obviously, with him being my youth pastor. And Juliana said, Dad was always so proud of you. She said, would, would you consider being a pallbearer for his funeral on Monday? And I said, sure, I would do that. The week continued. Friday, March 24th came, and my mother texted me in the morning to inform me that my grandmother in Florida had passed away. Considering the events of this month, I felt that it was appropriate this week, today, on Sunday, to exposit with you both my heart and some scriptures that have helped to carry me and hold me up within these last number of weeks. I want to share with you today three takeaways from the past three weeks related to the presence and the power of Jesus within our grief and our mourning. And then I want to offer some considerations regarding how we can live with, how we can process or work through our own grief, and finally, I want to provide some wisdom on how we might be present and available for those in our communities and in our congregations who are mourning and grieving themselves. And as I share this this morning, I recognize looking out over this congregation and knowing the number of people who are also with us online for a number of reasons, that there is many within our own congregation. There are many who are grieving and who are mourning and going through difficulties. And I pray that today in some way what I share from this pulpit will be an encouragement to your heart as it's been an encouragement to mine. I cannot promise I'm going to hold it together up here today. You're going to have to bear with me. <laughs> we will get through it with the Lord's help. Get your tissues. <laughs> Excuse me. Let's pray. In every step of the last few weeks of this journey. You have been with us.
trust you. And Lord, we know that you love us. And we know that on this side of heaven there is pain. But we also know that we do not grieve as those who have no hope. There is a bright and beautiful, glorious hope before us. There is comfort. There is healing. There is rest. Even in places of hurt and heartache. So Jesus, perhaps this Sunday more than ever, I need your help. We need your help. And we know you're right there with us. Thank you. We want to give you the glory for this time together today. And we want to pray for your peace. And the light and the comfort that comes from your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know how Blake did the service yesterday of his brother, but he did. I'm going to have to figure out how he did that. My first takeaway is this. Jesus alone is the only one that's great enough to carry the heaviness of this grief and this pain. One of the, the realities that I've been confronted with very visibly in the last number of weeks is that I am not enough. I am not enough. It was especially evident this week when I couldn't fix my daughter and she was crying for help. Not crying, kind of bellowing. It was like, help, help. <laughs> And as I was running down the track and I was looking and hearing her call out for help, I just thought, there is no helping. <laughs> I can do nothing to help. And then I found out, as I learned that she was going to be spending at least one night in the hospital and one night ended up turning to two, that I am a terrible mother at home. <laughs> Not good. Not good at being mom. Not good. Mom's in the hospital with Bailey, and boy, do I need mom at home. <laughs> Not enough. I can't replicate her presence. I couldn't replicate Bailey's presence. You know, every child in our home, their presence when they're not there with us, it's felt. Brighton's in Ohio this weekend with our quiz teams. His lack of presence, it's been felt in our home because every child has a presence and a place and a role that they play. And when they're not there or someone who we love isn't there, it's, it's felt. We recognize that we're not enough. And it's hard because we want to be. By nature, we're fixers. We want to make it okay. And, and when we see certain things, when we see certain heartaches and certain moments of grief and mourning in our life and we're confronted with the reality that we can't fix it and we can't make it okay, that is hard. But Jesus is. He is. And he hasn't left us alone. The scriptures remind us many places in many different ways that Jesus was going to send and he was going to give us a helper. That is his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit is a spirit 
of comfort. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we may be able to comfort those experiencing any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow towards us, so also our comfort through Christ overflows towards you. We have a spirit of comfort who is with us. He is able to comfort us in our mourning, in our loss, in our tragedy, in our pain. In our affliction, he is powerful and he is enough. But it's, it's so powerful and so invigorating for me to recognize that even though Jesus is enough and the presence of his spirit is enough, he doesn't just leave us with those things, but he also gives us one another. The body of Christ. And what a privilege, friends. What an opportunity that we have been given to carry one another's burdens. I love Paul's words in Galatians chapter 6. They really pull out and bring revelation to this privilege that we have. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2. Carry one another's burdens. And in this way. You will fulfill the law of Christ. Whoa. <laughs> what does that look like? Oh man. Yesterday. At 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I drove to Wesley Church. For Craig Dibler's funeral service. We began the service with prayer. Immediately leading into great is thy faithfulness. The congregation, the auditorium was full. Everyone stood and sung great is thy faithfulness. Then there was a pause. And these uh, up on stage there, were, there was this choir. One of Craig's last projects, he's the worship director at Wesley, was to put together a choir. There were 60 people on stage that he had recruited to be part of this choir. And my sister, she leads worship at uh, Missions Church. Uh, she was out front as the lead vocalist, and there was a director. And after Great Is Thy Faithfulness, whew, we sang, Worthy is the Lamb. 700, maybe 800 people in an auditorium. A glimpse of heaven when we broke into that chorus. Worthy is the Lamb seated on the throne. Crown him now with many crowns. He reigns victorious. I didn't want to stop singing. It was powerful. The Spirit was already present, but the saints were singing. And in doing so, and looking around the room, we were seeing, I was seeing what it looks like for a community to be present in bearing 
one another's burdens. And I couldn't help but in my mind think how proud Craig would have been in that moment that we were worshiping like that. When we were done, someone got up to share and they said, you may be seated. And I looked to my cousin, he's a pastor in Lancaster. I looked at him and I said, I don't want to be. I want to keep going. And I wanted to keep going. It was so powerful and beautiful. So much was shared during that service. So many beautiful things. Perhaps one of the most beautiful things was a project that Craig and I worked together on. Uh, it was a vision that Blake had cast a few years into our ministry to plant a Spanish-speaking congregation in Quarryville. And Craig and I were on the front lines of that project, and we carried that vision. And when that church was planted, there was 20 or 30 people who attended on the first Sunday. The Sunday of Craig's passing at La Cosecha, there was 170 people in attendance. 12 baptisms and 11 people gave their life to Christ. What beauty. Craig went home and he went to see the Lord. We sang Worthy as a Lamb and all these memories and all these thoughts coming to my mind and thinking this could be practicing what we're all going to be doing one day around the throne of our eternal king. But while we wait for that day, we have to learn part of our discipleship journey, part of our spiritual growth journey here in our sanctification is to learn how to live here with hope and peace, and comfort the presence of the Spirit in our lives, even through hard and difficult days. And so a second takeaway from the last month is that Jesus gives us permission to mourn and actually calls us blessed when we do. In the Scriptures, uh, in the book of Matthew, there's testimony, the greatest sermon ever preached. We all know it, right? The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus ascends this mountain, and there's this tension that's arising early in the ministry of Jesus because he looks so different than the leaders of the day. He looks nothing like a Pharisee or Sadducee. He speaks nothing like any of the religious leaders. And he certainly isn't acting like any of the Roman or the political leaders of the day. So the tension is... What are the qualities of a person who is blessed in the kingdom that Jesus was inaugurating? Or perhaps we'd ask it this way. Who were the kinds of people that Jesus would bless and invite as participants into his kingdom? And his answer to this question, as we get into the Sermon on the Mount, it sets up this countercultural, upside-down, inside-out nature of the kingdom that he was establishing. Power in the Roman and religious empires? No. Power in the kingdom was not going to look like power in the Roman and the religious empires of the day. Jesus had a different way of describing what power was going to look like in his kingdom. Matthew 5, when he saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, he sat down. 
and his disciples came to him. And then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they, they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven for they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. It's amazing. The politics of God's kingdom gave priority and power to a group of people who were very much on the margins in Jesus' day. In the kingdom of God, the poor in spirit, the pious poor, they belong. In his kingdom, those who mourn, those of us who are mourning today or have mourned or who will be mourning, we're going to be comforted. There's a promise. Not ignored, not dismissed, not denigrated. The meek, those who are humble, selfless, Quick to forgive those who seek justice and righteousness, they're given an inheritance. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. The merciful themselves will be shown mercy. The pure in heart will see God. The peacemakers are identified as God's children. And the persecuted righteous are invited in as belonging participants. Friends, as the, as the church, not only can we practice these habits and attitudes now, but we should practice them now. If Jesus is giving permission and space for those who are mourning, we too, as Christian communities, need to allow space for grief and mourning. And I love that Jesus assures that those who are mourning will be comforted. And he can give this assurance because as God, he knows that his father is near to the brokenhearted. Many of us know Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near the brokenhearted. He delivers those who are discouraged. Jesus can promise and assure that those who mourn in the Lord will be comforted because he knows that God is near and present in a special way with those who are in pain and grieving. My grandmother, who I affectionately have called Nancy, during my life she passed away on Friday. I called last Saturday um, to say my goodbyes. And when I called, my grandfather answered the phone, and I started talking to him, and he said, oh, hey, Nancy, it's Chris, and we were talking, and I heard in the background, give me the phone. <laughs> okay, I was on the phone, he said, Nancy wants to talk to you. I said, okay, give her the phone, <laughs> and so I took the phone. She said, I have books 
I said, I know. <laughs> she said, they're Les Feldick books. Anybody know Les Feldick? He's a Bible teacher. She said, I, I have 82 of them. <laughs> the whole series. I said, oh, she said, would you like them? I said, I'll take a few of them. You need to take all 82 or none. <laughs> I said, I have some empty shelves in my office. I'll take 82. Don't put them on your shelves. Read them. <laughs> I said, I will read them. <laughs> I may not read 82 of them in one sitting. I mean, it could take me an entire ministry career to get through all, all 82 of them. And Les Feldick, he's a good Bible teacher, but I'm sure I've heard of quite a bit of his stuff, too. She said, I, I had a dream. I said, okay. She said, the other night, I was sleeping. And she said, it was interesting, because in my dream, uh, I fell asleep. And I thought, well, I've never had that happen before. <laughs> and she said, uh, when I woke up, there was a hand reaching out. And I took the hand, and I walked into the light. And she said, tell your congregation this. <laughs> She's so bold. <laughs> she actually said, I want you to tell your congregation this. <laughs> when, I, when I pass, I will be more alive than I ever was on earth. And I will be more awake than I ever felt here too. <sighs> it was about two days later where they, they took her oxygen off. And she slipped into a coma, and she never came out. She fell asleep. And I'm praying she took the hand of our, of, of our Lord, and he led her into glory. Man, what beautiful hope. Those who die in the Lord, what great hope. Blake often told the story at Wesley of his grandfather who passed away. And uh, before his grandfather passed away, he saw this great light. And it was one of his last words that he spoke in the spring life. And he was gone. What great hope. Hmm. So the first takeaway is that Jesus alone is enough for us as we journey through grief and journey with grief and mourning. The second is that Jesus gives us permission to mourn and he calls us blessed when we do. And then the final takeaway, and we'll get into a few thoughts about our own grief and walking with others. Jesus himself models and demonstrates a willingness to see, hear, know, be present with, and participate in our grief and our mourning. At Chad's funeral, I shared a few observations from John chapter 11, Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. What a wonderful account that gives us insight into Jesus' presence and participation in grief and mourning. Jesus puts his own life at risk to be present with Mary and Martha and their grieving community in verses 6 to 10 of John 11. Jesus 
waits to go to Lazarus until after Lazarus has died. He knows he's going to be walking into an environment that is filled with grief and mourning. And when Jesus arrives on the scene, he doesn't dismiss the pain of Mary and Martha. He doesn't ignore their questions or denounce them. He engages them. He takes on their grief. He listens to their pain. He's not dismissive. And as he's listening, he points those who are grieving towards comforting truth. For those who believe, even in the face of death, we can cling to the hope of abundant life. And for the one who grieves or mourns over one who has been lost, we can hold on to the comfort of knowing that because Jesus lives, those who die in him will live with him also. John eleven twenty five. 25, we know this, don't we? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And the one who lives and believes in me will never die. Mm. Then he says, do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the son of God who came into the world. Jesus moves to the tomb of Lazarus to where he's been buried and there he himself grieves. We all know the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He does. Multiple times in the text, he is deeply moved by what is happening at the scene. And then eventually, he shows that he has power over death by raising Lazarus from the dead. Giving every believer who has ever followed the great hope and comfort that he has done, does, and will do the same for us. This is not the only place where Jesus weeps and mourns in the scriptures. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus mourns openly over the city of Jerusalem. We remember, oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem. He knows what's coming. Luke 22, verse 42, he's in the garden before going to the cross and he's loaded with the weight of what he is about to take on and what's going to happen. And he's shedding tears and sweating what the Bible describes as drops of blood in the garden before his arrest. Powerful. He's a God that's big enough to carry all of our pain, all of our grief. All of our mourning. Mm. When I was young, my family moved further into the southern end. Can you get any further into the southern end than Holtwood? I don't know. <laughs> we moved to Holtwood. It's about as far as you can go in the southern end, maybe. I, I'm not sure. We had to switch churches. It was too far of a drive to continue to go where we had been going, so we started going to a small little Methodist church. Uh, down in Peckway, 
uh, Peck, uh, Mount Nebo United Methodist. And, and when you're new to a church in middle school, you wonder, am I going to fit in here? Is anybody going to know me? Are there going to be kids here that are the same age as me? What's this going to be like? And when I got into the church, it didn't take too long before I ran into a uh, pretty bare of a man. His name was Mike. And uh, he owned his own landscaping company, ran his own landscaping business, and he would affectionately call me Lenhart. <laughs> Lenhart! A lot of times like that. And uh, he was the youth leader. And I was just coming into an age where I was joining the youth group and we went on one of our first retreats and I was still at that place where I was deciding, am I going to fit in here? Is this going to be a place where I'm received and loved and welcome? What's this going to be like? And I remember we were at Black Rock and we were in a cabin and it was freezing. It was a winter retreat and uh, the fireplace, you still had to go out and get wood and put it in the fireplace. And he said, Lenhart, he was laying there in the bed, he said, Lenhart, there's wood out back. He said, go out back there and get some wood and bring it in. We're going to put it in the fireplace. So I did. And I went out back and I opened the door and he shut it behind me and locked it. <laughs> I was in my night clothes. It was time for bed. At the winter retreat outside and all I heard in the cabin was roaring laughter. <laughs> my first introduction to Mike Miller. We had fun. We had a lot of fun growing up. Mike Miller was one of the first men that said to me, you ought to consider ministry. And I remember laughing. <laughs> I was like, you got to be kidding me. Little did I know he was wrestling with his own call. That the Lord was calling him to actually enter ministry. To go get his license and to begin serving local community Methodist churches as a licensed local, local pastor, which he did for many, many years. When I accepted or received the call to pursue ministry and decided that I was going to go on to college at Rollinsville Camp Meeting one summer, they asked all those that were considering ministry as a profession to come forth, and they invited a number of men to come and to lay hands and pray over us. And there was a number of us up there that day at the altar and Mike Miller came, he was one of the men that laid hands and prayed over me. Young in ministry, early on in ministry, he gave me many opportunities to fill pulpit for him. And Blake was always like, whenever Mike goes on vacation, you don't hesitate, you go fill for his church. It'll get you another opportunity in the pulpit. And so many times I got to fill uh, at Mike Miller's churches in pulpit when he was on vacation. So thankful for the many influences God placed in my life growing up. To get that text the day after or the day of Bailey's surgery from Juliana to, to be a pallbearer at his funeral tomorrow, it was, a, it was an honor for me uh, to be able to do that, to memorialize him and to celebrate his life. These have been a hard couple of weeks. My walks in the morning with the Lord, um, there's been tears. <laughs> you know, I was like crying today. I don't even know why. And then I thought to myself, maybe I should know why. <laughs> uh, just a few thoughts when we are grieving. 
ourselves. If you're grieving today, a few thoughts. If you're mourning today, one, hold fast to Jesus. Cling to him. He is able to take us through the valleys of the shadow of death. He is a good and faithful shepherd, and he will not abandon us in those places. Pray. Start with prayer, both speaking and listening. Wait on the Lord. Listen for the Lord. Pray out loud. Mourn. Cry with him on your walks or in your quiet times, and then listen to what he's saying to you. I tried to prep a sermon for Exodus this week on Monday. I was sitting at my computer and we're supposed to be talking about the Ten Commandments today. And I just kept hearing, Chris, would you stop? I'm trying to show you something. And I just kept thinking, this doesn't make sense. I can't get up here on Sunday and talk about the Ten Commandments. And then in the afternoon, Bailey broke her arm and I thought, you know what, Lord, I'm listening now. Please, nothing else. (laughs) Listen. He speaks. He's alive. And his word, his word is powerful. Cling to his word. There's light. We sang it today. Thy word is a lamp unto thy feet and a light unto thy path. Reflect on it. Take it with you. Meditate on it. Be thinking about it throughout the day. Chewing on it. Thinking about the truths that can carry you through times of mourning and loss. And then don't Abandon fellowship. It's so easy when we're in grief and when we're in mourning to isolate. But God places us in communities for a purpose. Both in the short and the long of the grief and the mourning that we're in. We need one another. Don't abandon fellowship. Early on, it may be your family. Maybe that's all you can do. That's all you can handle. Your children, your other loved ones, your your extended family. Maybe you're not quite ready to jump back into the community of believers right away. That's fine. But over time, re-engage. Come back. Step in. Find fellowship. And then don't forget to take care of yourself. Oftentimes when we're grieving and when we're mourning and we're walking through really difficult seasons, the first thing that we let go of is self-care. That was my inclination on Tuesday morning. I thought, how am I going to get up and go for a walk this morning? There's no other adult in the house. What if something happens? You know, and, and this, friends, I know I talk about it a lot, but for me, this is a sustaining thing. This Spending that time with the Lord, that hour, whatever time it is in the morning, it builds capacity to get me through the day. I can't function right if I don't have that time with the Lord in the morning. So I set my alarm for an extra hour earlier, so I get up at 4, and I texted Brighton. Now, his phone is in our room at night, but when he got up, I knew he would go get it. So the first thing that he would see is, I'm out for my walk. If you need me, let me know. I didn't want to give up. That care for self because it's important. Hydrate. I know that sounds silly, but drink, eat, make sure you continue with regular rhythms and routines in your life that are good for you because you have to care for yourself in those times of mourning and grief. The Lord will take care of you, absolutely. But it's important we don't forget or neglect caring for ourselves as well. 
So if you're grieving today, hold fast to Jesus. Pray. Get in the Word. Fellowship. Find fellowship with your family or with the community. And take care of yourself. But then when others are grieving and you're called to care and be present in their life, just a few thoughts to carry with us today. Pray first. When others are grieving and mourning and you are called to care, pray first, then be present and available. We often forget this or overlook this, but the reality is not only is prayer the first thing that we should do as believers, but it is also the best thing that we can do. I really believe that. God hears the prayers of his saints. And I don't know how it all works. We can get into deep theological conversations about if prayer, how prayer affects God and to what level things happen and this and that because of prayer. I don't know. <laughs> One day we will. I'm just so thankful that we have the opportunity to go before the living God, knowing that he's listening, that he's hearing, and that the prayers are doing something. It is the first thing we should do when those who are close to us are grieving, and it is the best thing that we can do. And when we're present, after we pray, when we're present and we're available, be a presence of peace and comfort. It's important that we're present and available as a listener and a learner first. So important. Present as a listener and a learner first, not as a speaker. Everyone processes and expresses grief differently. Every grief experience is going to be uniquely processed and expressed. There is no two that are the same. We have to be careful not to come in with, with all of the answers or all of the solutions to the grief in the morning. They're not easy. And that pain is real and it hurts. I want to give a few considerations for children because the grief in our life over these last few weeks has affected our children. Chad McDowell was a teacher for a number of our children and one of our children actually had him this year as a teacher in school. One of our children served as his manager for the basketball team this year in school. When our children are grieving, when they're mourning, we have to remember some of our children may not know the Lord yet. They're not going to process their grief and their mourning like a mature believer. And for all of our children who are in the Lord, they're babes, new in the Lord. They're not going to be perfect at processing this. And we have to allow space and grace in their grief and in their mourning for big and difficult words and behaviors to come out. They don't know how to process this. They don't know how to do this well or do this right. They're not going to be perfect. We have to give them space. Sometimes they're going to say really hard and difficult things to you because they're hurting. Sometimes they're going to do really big and hard, difficult things because they're hurting. 
all of those behaviors and all of those words are trying to communicate something that's going on deeper. Look past it. To try for a moment to look beyond the behaviors and into the heart. It's what our Savior did. To see through those things that are hard and difficult and to recognize that hurting people are going to do things to help themselves feel better. And sometimes when folks are young in the faith or they don't know the Lord, they may hurt others. Don't let it push you away. Love them still. Pray for them still. Encourage them still. Be present for them still. Even when they're hurting. As one who is called to bear another's burdens, I think it's important that we acknowledge and empathize with the pain of the loss. This is hard. I see that this is hard, and I can't imagine how you feel, but I'm here. I'm here. It can be incredibly comforting for us to know that someone else can see our pain even being able to communicate it back to us, whether it's with words or with a tone or a posture. Allow for uncomfortable questions and the processing of grief. It's going to be uncomfortable. There are questions that come up in grief and mourning and pain that are hard. Why? That's one of them. What? Is going on. That's another. Mary and Martha had the same questions. The what ifs. We need to allow for them. And, and, and not pretend like we have answers. That are easy for people to process. The answers are complex. There's many layers to grief. And mourning. And we need to give space for people to process. And to ask uncomfortable. And hard questions. One of the things that Chad said to me was, I wanted to ask the Lord, why me? That's hard. I just nod my head. I don't have an answer. And that's okay. Avoid giving advice or solutions unless asked. And even when asked, remember humility because there are no easy answers and no quick fixes. Mourning's going to be with us here. We talk about coming or walking through mourning. Some of us have to learn how to journey in the grief and the mourning. It's going to be with us for a long part of some of our journeys. And then to be available, to be willing to invite a person to join us in healthy rhythms or routines of life. Go for a walk together, pray together, get together and study the Bible in a home or a cafe. Go out and eat. Maybe go with them for a difficult appointment, share a meal, whatever that might look like. Just be available. It's helpful. These last three weeks, there have been many different things I could share, but I want to wrap our time up, and I want to conclude with one particular God sighting that was moving, very moving to me in this season. 
On Monday of this week, uh, Jen started back to school teaching. She also started back uh, in her role as the head track coach, and uh, she was present again in that position. Her daughter, Allie, went back to work after two weeks off. Her daughter is a nurse in the ER at LGH. And she shared with her mother that morning as she was getting ready to go back to work that she was really scared or nervous about potentially having a patient that had cancer or was coding that would remind her of her father. She was nervous about how hard that would be for her. Bailey broke her arm at track practice. Sheila came to the school. She put her in the Highlander. She drove to LGH. She was immediately taken back to a triage room in the ER. Bailey didn't know who she was going to have as a nurse. Guess who walked in the door? Allie McDowell. God cares. The tiniest things. The tiniest things. And that may seem little for us, but for Allie McDowell and for Bailey Lenhart, that was not little. That was God, present in pain, present in grief, present in mourning. And those are the things that carry us through these seasons, remembering that he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He's always right there. Team, would you come? Let's pray. Lord, you are good. Whew, we can say that. We can say that in these seasons. We can proclaim that, that you are good. That you are merciful. Lord, sometimes we are in deep waters. Sometimes we feel like we can't get our head up above the water, that we're drowning. And you are the lifeline. The image this week, Lord, that I've had of a mountain climber in a snowstorm holding on to a rope, clinging to that rope as the winds blow and the storm falls, and continuing to just take the next step. Thank you. Thank you for being with us in the journey. Thank you for the power and the peace and the comfort of your presence. We need it, Lord. We need you every hour, every minute. We cannot do this part of the journey without you. We give you the glory. You are our firm foundation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.